So, first of all, who has seen Basolini's Gospel according to Matthew before? Okay, only Paolo. All right, so before I, I talk a little bit about the film itself, I want to talk about Basolini himself, um, a little bit about his history and what inspired him to direct this film. So, Pierpaolo Pasolini was born in 1922 in Bologna in Italy. Um, and his, when he was studying in university, his main focus was primarily literature and poetry. But eventually, he became interested in the figurative arts and in the film and, and making films. Um, and his entryway into film was primarily through his love of words and his love of, of communication. He recognized through studying words, studying literature and poetry, um, Something, about, something beautiful about human nature that he then wanted to capture through those visual media. So his, the first film that he ever worked on was a collaboration with Federico Fellini on Le Notte di Cabiria, The Knights of Cabiria, in 1957. And then he released his first film by himself as director in 1961. It was a film called Acatone. So Pasolini, he was raised Catholic, as most Italians are. But as he grew up, he ended up choosing to reject religion, to reject faith in God altogether, as he became more involved in communist circles. Um, he also alienated himself somewhat from the institutional church after becoming more open about his same-sex affairs. Um, so part of what drew him to communism was this disgust, this distaste for consumer capitalism. Um, he realized that the new capitalist mentality was turning everything and everyone into a commodity. It was sucking out the sense of beauty, the sense of dignity, and the sacred within everyday life. And I wanted to read, there's a couple quotes from some essays that he wrote about his observations about the consumer culture in Italy during that time. So he recognized what he called this bourgeois anthropological revolution that was hitting Italy as the economy started to boom. Um, and he said that when you walk on the streets, you're struck by the uniformity of the crowd, the sense that everybody just seems the same. There's nobody, there's no real diversity. No one's really unique. They're just trying to fit a mold, really. Um, and he calls this a, a kind of cultural genocide that was particularly affecting young people during that time. Um, and he noticed with the young people that there is this, quote unquote, anxious yearning to be equal to everyone else, again, to fit in with respect to consumption. Um, they had this view of happiness, of freedom, that again was very conformist. And he said that even though people had, they, they construed this as, you know, we, we want to be equal to everyone else. We want to have this sense of equality. Sure, that, that may have played out on the material economic level, but spiritually, again, it was very vapid. No one was really alive as an individual. And he especially observed the negative effect that popular culture, whether in TV, in the fashion industry, the role that that was playing in pushing this conformist mentality. And he noticed that when he was watching TV, the people's faces looked sadder. They looked full of anguish, as he said. There's another thing he said in one of his essays. He says, like hens selected for breeding, Italians have immediately absorbed the new anti-sentimental, irreligious ideology of power. It's terribly obvious, the lack of a sense of the sacredness of the life of others and the end of all feelings about one's own identity. This too is terribly obvious, he continues. It is the ability to consider the lives of other persons to be worthless and to consider, sorry, and to consider one's own heart as nothing but a muscle. I think therefore that without losing faith in our humanistic and rational intellectual tradition, we must no longer be afraid, as was the correct attitude in the past, of not casting enough discredit on the sacred or even of having an, a heart. 
So you see how his distaste for the consumer culture started to open up his spiritual awareness and his, his curiosity about rediscovering religion, we can say. Um, and this is one of the main themes, the, the death of the sacred, that he explored in his films, especially in 120 Days of Sodom, a very controversial film. But still, he had this desire to communicate what he saw happening in the youth culture. And as time went on, he realized that the materialist worldview of communism that he had supported for so long was incapable of restoring that sense of the sacred that was sucked out by consumer capitalism. Ultimately, communism couldn't bring that sense of meaning and dignity that religion used to bring into the culture. So this is what prompted his curiosity to explore Christianity once again and to, open, to be open to the possibility of God's existence. So the film, The Gospel of, the, of Matthew, which we're going to watch today, he says that it was a reaction against the conformism of Marxism, um, the mystery of life and death and of suffering, and particularly of religion, is something that Marxists do not want to consider, he says. But these are and have always been questions of great importance to human beings. So he recognizes that even if one isn't religious, the questions, the, the matter that religion explores is something universal, something that applies to all human beings, no matter what. So in 1962, Pope John XXIII, he, he heard a little bit about Pasolini's change of heart, his openness to Christianity, and he decided to invite him to this event, which was going to be taking place in Assisi, which was inviting artists who weren't necessarily Catholic, but again, who were open to engaging with the Catholic tradition and with the church more broadly. And you see that this is kind of the attitude that was spawned by Vatican II, which John, the, John the XXIII initiated, this spirit of openness, wanting to open the windows of the church to the world once again. So while he was at this, um, while he was going to this conference held in Assisi, he was waiting in his hotel room getting ready. And before he went down to the, the conference, he saw that there were these massive crowds blocking the roads because the Pope had just entered into, into the area. So it was almost impossible to cross the street to get into this event. So he ended up just staying in his hotel room that whole day, and he found in the drawers of one of the, one of the dressers a Bible. So he said, you know, I'm here. I have nothing to do. I can't go to the event. I may as well just start flipping through the Bible. And while he was reading the Gospels, he was really struck by the humanity of Jesus, which is something that he never really noticed during his religious education as a child. And he decided, you know, I, I need to explore the humanity of Jesus. I want to understand who this person was. Um, not, not so much the, the spiritual or the, um, the religious connotations uh, affiliated with Jesus, but the human being Jesus, the person himself. So this sparked the idea to create a film based on the gospel according to Matthew. So the film itself is part of the Italian neorealist tradition, which means that it consists mostly of non-professional actors playing these roles. So it's mostly local people from the town. Um, the, the actress who plays the Virgin Mary is his own mother. And there are several other characters played by friends of his who are writers, poets, philosophers. But the point is he wanted it to have a very human feel. He didn't want these professional actors playing these very important historical figures. Um, now, the, the setting of the film, I mean, it's very minimalistic. You're going to notice that there's very little, very basic dialogue. And that's because the only dialogue is taken straight from the gospel account, from Matthew. He didn't want to add any of his own spin. He just wanted the gospel to speak for itself. And part of the reason he decided to do that is because he said while he was reading Matthew's gospel, he was struck by how distinctly human and poetic the language was, to the point that he said, you know, he really had no interest in the other gospel accounts. 
He thought John's gospel was too mystical, Mark, he said, was too vulgar, and Luke was too sentimental. But Matthew had this human poetic sense that he wanted to depict in the film. So aside from the minimalistic dialogue, there is some music, and it's, it's a very interesting selection that he chose. So you have some classical pieces by Bach, you have American gospel songs, you have an Aramaic Jewish chant, you even have a Congolese uh, a Gloria from their mass that they have in Africa. Um, but it's, again, it's, it's, a, it's a very unique way of depicting the gospel story. Also, it's, it's very different from other Jesus movies, we could say other gospel movies, in the sense that there's not really a lot of action. You know, we think of The Passion of the Christ from Mel Gibson, very gory, very dramatic. There's very little blood in this one. There's very little action. It all centers around the dialogue taken from the gospel account, but also the way that the characters look at each other. He zooms in on the faces of the characters to show how just the gaze, the look into each other's eyes, communicates something more than words could do, more than action could do. So that's something to pay attention to. How are the characters in the story communicating just with their faces and with their eyes? Um, so going off of this idea of communication through, through our eyes, through a gaze, um, there's an interesting connection between what he's doing here and one of Father Giussani's main kind of theological themes in his, um, in his texts. And if you look at his commentary, Giussani's commentary on the first uh, chapter of John's Gospel, he talks about when John and Andrew first encountered Jesus. So if you might remember, John the Baptist is preaching. He's saying, you know, I'm not the Lamb of God. The Lamb is to come. And Jesus starts passing by, and he points out, behold, the Lamb of God. So John and Andrew, you know, they're just passing by. And for some reason, John the Baptist strikes their curiosity. They want to know who is this guy who, they're, who he's calling the Lamb of God. So he goes up, they go up to Jesus, and they ask him, you know, Master, where do you live? They're curious to know more about him. And he invites them to come and see. In other words, to come follow him. And what Jusani says about this encounter is that it wasn't so much what Jesus said, it wasn't that he was performing miracles, but it was the way that he looked at them that attracted them. The way he looked at them made them want to know, who is this guy? What, is he, what does he have for me? What, how could being with him, living with him, make my life more full? So I want to read just a, a couple sentences from his commentary. Uh, Giussani says, John and Andrew were watching that man speak, saying things they had never heard before, but that were so close, so fitting, so resounding. They didn't understand, but they were simply captivated, drawn, overwhelmed by him speaking. They watched him speak because it was by watching that some people realized that among them, there is something indescribable, a presence not only unmistakable, but incomprehensible and yet so penetrating penetrating because it corresponded to what their heart was waiting for. So there's this sense that when John and Andrew encountered Jesus, they recognized through his gaze that they found what they've been looking for their whole lives. They found something that would make their lives more full, which would allow them to become more themselves. So much so that Jusani imagines that when they go home after this encounter, they treat their wives in a different way. They treat their kids in a different way because they've discovered the meaning of life. They've discovered who they truly are, and it allows them to live in a more full way. So, and it was for this reason that Giussani said of Pasolini that he was emblematic of the drama of a man raised in the Catholic tradition that he received from his mother, which he eventually abandoned because it had never been supported by the experience of a new encounter. He followed the wrong road. He said that the truth does not exist or rather that we do not know what the truth is. 
But little by little in his life, he heard the echo of what his mother had said about life, about truth, about which road to travel. And Drusani says, you know, if only Pasolini had that encounter, he would have wept. He would have recognized the same thing that John and Andrew did. So despite never having that explicit encounter with Christ, as, is, as we see in the gospel accounts, he just through reading the, the Bible, he saw something different about Jesus and wanted to know more about who he was. And I think, again, if we think about other movies based on biblical stories, Giusa, um, sorry, Pasolini recognizes something that other directors, I think because there's a lot of directors who are people of faith, have such a strong desire to communicate their belief to, uh, to viewers, because Pasolini does, isn't in that same place in his journey of faith, he allows the story to speak for itself. Again, without putting his spin on it, without over-dramatizing it. He wants people to encounter Jesus in a very simple way. Um, and I think it, this echoes something that Pope Benedict said once about what Christianity's true nature is. Um, he said, being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or of a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. So as we watch the film, really allow yourself to, to take in the simplicity of it, the fact that, again, Pasolini's not trying to force something on us. He's not trying to interpret the story for us. He wants us to see who this person is, again, in a very simple and plain way. Look at how... Again, Jesus draws people, he attracts them just by looking at them, just by his very presence. He doesn't have to perform all these miracles. He doesn't have to say something shocking. The fact that he's even there draws them in. Um, so, so pay attention to those things, but also think about how might this movie shed light on our own journeys? How might it help us to understand our encounters with Christ, how he's attracting us to him? how he's inviting us to walk with him the same way that the apostles and all the others did. So with that, let's start the film.